Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. In this episode, we're going to go through an interview with the strength coach. We have Jordan Alcantar, head strength conditioning coach at Loyola Marymount University here in Los Angeles, and diving into really how we leverage force length and capsular space in a more outcome measure based environment like looking at the stretch shortening cycle and plyometrics. So Jordan dived into a bunch of different things like how we evaluate the person's readiness to do plyos, his progressions, and just some really in the trenches types of insights that he really comes down to and says, hey, these are some things that we really should consider as we're developing our athletes. Always check out the module to get all the graphics and all the background. We did a great case study looking through different things we should be evaluating with movement and how that impacts things like the stretch shortening cycle. And then stay tuned. We got our book coming out here in late spring, Strength Deficit, Leveraging Eccentric Versus Concentric Contractions. We should have a pre-order available, and with that comes the first 100 orders who get it directly from the website will get access to the programs we did through Army West Point. So I hope you guys are staying tuned on that, and without further ado, here's Jordan. All right, everybody, we got Jordan on. Jordan, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself Go through uh, a little bit of your background, where you're at now, what you're doing, and uh, we'll we'll hit it. All right, uh, cool. Well, Tim, it's nice to be on this on this podcast with you. I mean, I know when I when I saw you training at Allegiant uh, in the summertime. I mean, you were the one that gave me that call to intern at USC. So I think this is funny how it's coming full circle. Um, but yeah, um, my name is Jordan Alcantar, and I I'm the head director at Loyola Marymount University for sports performance. Um, I did intern at uh, USC and I interned at Mike Boyle's and I had a stint with a physical therapy athletic training clinic in Manhattan Beach called West Coast Sports Medicine Foundation, which gave um, free free surgery, free PT, free treatment for a handful of schools in the Los Angeles area. So that was a huge part of my background before I started doing only sports performance training. So uh, that's very near and dear to my heart. So I really um, utilize that side of what we do in uh, what we do at LMU. Are you uh, ATC by trade or uh, is that just something you kind of? No, I was to... like a student athletic trainer, uh, massage therapist. Um, so I was just kind of doing all three of those at the same time. I wasn't ever certified in PT or athletic training, but I, that's what I grew up learning um, for five or six years in that clinic. Okay. Do you have a LMT at all? I don't. I did my CMT. Um, I did not want to go further into doing the LMT, just, I was already in grad school and I was still interning at USC at the time. And I didn't know if I could handle doing one more bout of, of LMT school, which I think was like two or three more years of schooling. Yeah. And, um, I didn't know you, uh, you actually did work with Mike at the MBSC, man. That's awesome. I did. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the. So I guess the, uh, the Mecca right there, man, that's awesome, man. The whole East coast, everyone should cut their teeth in the East coast, man. <laughs> uh, Eric Schmidt, he probably wouldn't listen to this. Yeah. I think I, he was the year before me or two years before yeah, me. Actually. Yeah. You, the West coast guys, they, they definitely need the hardened cold winners of new England to really become ingratiated into the strength and community or, or the hot, humid, no air conditioning up yeah, in a room in, yeah. in a, th- a three story house with only a window. Yeah. And I think that's the big element, man. Like, I mean, I think the West coast strength conditioning coach really needs to develop that grit effect that Angela Duckworth yes. talks about and no air conditioning, humidity, mosquitoes, 
Yes. Or frigid temperatures with maybe like a drafty, very like poor climate controlled house and like um, not really, really well heated uh, type of industrial plaza in, in the winter. And, you know, I can recall back to my time growing up in Enfield, Connecticut, and in the, the Gold's Gym we trained at, would never turn the AC on and would never turn the heat on. And and everyone would ask for it. We're paying, you know, monthly membership. And the owner would be like, no, I don't believe that helps you. And kind of live with that, you know. So now I own an open-air facility here in Southern California. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, these guys are complaining about 50-degree weather with no HVAC or heat. And I'm like, man, what would – what would Frank from Gold's Gym say to that question? Hard no, you know? And I think that's yeah. something the West Coast strength conditioning coaches, probably something that's really important for me to buy extension of New England to bring that out here. And um, just, yeah. yeah, just gritting, gritting everybody up, man. Just we definitely, everyone we definitely needed it. We definitely needed it. And I, and I know what made us really tough is that we could actually handle room temperature muscle milk. Yeah. Um, so that oh. made us a lot tougher than most interns that came through that. Uh, yeah. It's the coagulation. Place. Yeah. The little, like yeah. uh, the protein bubble, which would come through there, man. Yeah. No um, shake. Just open it up and go. That's right, man. Yeah. And actually the um, creator founder and uh, owner of muscle milk stopped by our Santa Monica location the other day. He's promoting a new product. I was like, wait, what you created it and you were the owner of it. He's like, yeah, that was me. I'm like what? <laughs> like you said, she just popped in. So, I love that. Yeah, it was really cool. I told him how much muscle milk I've loaded into fridges over the years. So, and how much you were drinking because you were a starving intern. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was. It was whatever bars we had for you know bars go so quick and then you know shakes are pretty much always there and they usually get replenished a lot faster. So, second half of the summer you're pretty much having up to the four shit. You're basically doing a like a, a velocity diet on T Nation <laughs> or. <laughs> Or, or uh, like, what do they call it? Insure diet here towards the end, you know, like only liquids for me, sir. So I can't have any solids here for a while because I can't afford it. Uh, so awesome. Awesome. Well, great prelude there. So today we're going to talk about really force length and the whole discussion we've been going through this past couple podcasts and through the modules about maintaining capsular space. But I thought like, instead of just talking about maintaining joint space, we should, you know, extreme extrapolate that out into what actually manifests if you don't have good space. And one of the things that we wanted to set up here is when we lose space in joints, there's going to be a downstream effect, right? Like, like irregardless of the loss of space in joints, like what does that manifest into? And the thing that we, we really wanted to get across was we see things when we do certain movement patterns that that loss of space creates some sort of compensation that I'm going to find space somewhere and that's going to alter length tension relationships. And it's going to alter potentially our utilization of stretch shortening cycle in the series elastic component. And going into it, I think this is a great place to start with you specifically, Jordan, of, of what is the approach you get when you're thinking about, hey, how do I assess and interpret what is a good plyometric drill or when do I use that and when do I integrate that with my athletes and what am I looking for from a biomechanical perspective uh, as we kick this thing off on your end? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't want to come off too simple and too rudimentary here, but like when we were with Boyles, I mean, he did say something, and can, can we, can we, I don't want to use, yeah, no, say it, lang- say it. rude yeah, language, rude, I don't want to use rude language, but oh, yeah, I have the parental advisory in the bottom, so by okay. all means, yeah. I mean, for lack of better terms, he said, if it looks like shit, it's shit, and I know that we're in this realm now of 
you know, sometimes you have to do the weird things well, because, you know, life does happen. Something in your environment might change how you're supposed to do something. And some of the things that we need to do in our space is prepare the athlete for competition, but we are also in a controlled space. So again, there is a little bit of disconnect between our controlled space and then what happens in competition, but then also trying to get good at what our physical therapist says at LMU is get good at the weird shit. So how do we, how do we loop all of those together and put them into one pie? And that's one question that the athletic trainer and I for, for basketball have really been working on and our physical therapist. Um, so what we usually do is, you know, like, like I'm sure everybody across the country does, we will work on landing or just some kind of impact. Like, especially for basketball, it's such a high impact sport because they're doing so many chaotic change of direction, acceleration, twisting, jumping, all that stuff in a very small space that's natural to them. So when we get these guys into our space, I will have our physical therapist either come by in our space or I'll go to him and have our athletic trainer watch of just, Hey, let's just do like maybe five or six DC blocks and see, you know, how they land with hands on the hips. Like a lot of these guys are going to already come into our school with hip, knee, ankle, growing something like something's already going to be there. And we're already going to have them do a movement assessment. They, the, our training room does their own assessing and then our PT will do some assessing as well. So there's already going to be some things that they're going to do on there. And before I even see them. Um, but for, but for me, and I'm sure like a lot of other people, like, we'll just look at, can you let, can you land from a very small box in that landing? Can you hold that landing that very, very, very like wide joint ankle of not too much knee bend, not completely straight and locked out, but like, can you just hold that for 30 seconds? And, and it's, it, that's all the boring stuff, but like, I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised or anybody else. Like a lot of, a lot of our guys and a lot of our athletes at LMU and I'm sure at other schools as well have a really hard time understanding just how to land properly and just accept impact. Um, and that's usually where I start. So, and that can be for any of my teams. It doesn't matter if it's basketball, if it's golf, like even with golf, if you're landing, if we, if you can, if you land poorly in golf, like how does your setup before your swing look? And usually if I talk to the coach about that, he's like, well, he's not playing this tournament because something's wrong with his swing. And usually it's something when he does that first movement going back with his hips. So again, I don't know how much longer you want me to keep going on this, but usually for, for me and for us and our support staff, we just see, can you guys even just hold and land in a two-legged position? And if that's okay, we'll do it in a one-legged position and see if that's okay as well. Most of the time when you get these guys just doing one leg at a time, it's, it's pretty bad and it looks like shit. So right off, right off the bat there, we already kind of know what we have to work on, not even from like a plyometric perspective, but just like a general movement perspective. And it could even just be that inherently a lot of the kids now are just on their phone. They sit down, they get in their car, they drive to dinner, they sit at dinner, they get back in their car, they sit and they drive back and then they sit on their phone. So again, everybody is in this like really short stretch position all day. And then we're going to ask them to get out of it and do something for 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour with us and expect things to change in one day. So I know that's probably very long winded. Um, but for us, we usually just start at that super basic can you land on two feet? Can you land on one foot? Honestly, Eric, I, I mean, I'm sorry, Eric, Jordan, uh, I was thinking about Eric here because I've had a lot of conversation with Eric Schmidt about this of 
when we think about the long-term perspective of what we want to do and what we can do are two drastically different things, right? You know, and like, I mean, I want to do cool things. I want to get to the point where we're doing this, you know, the provocative tools and looking at all the stuff that we want to do with training, but it's all completely rate limited by, can they simply just decelerate and land from a six inch or a three inch box? And you kind of get way ahead of ourselves and we're realizing that we're not even close to that. Their training age is really low. Their biomechanics are really poor. And then their, their actual capacity to handle anything above and beyond these basic level drills is so small. You know, yeah, it really and really, and I might have a question for you too. I mean, I know, like for us, like we're just doing really basic, like ankle car and knee and shin, and even with that, it's a struggle. And am I going into these sessions going like, okay, we have to be as extremely intentional as possible with an ankle car? Do are the guy are the guys going to buy in enough to it to know why it's going to help you when we have to do higher provocative movements? And that's, I think another disconnect of like, and this is probably another question that you have have later, but like how much of intent is the main driver for at least our population in college, yeah. like for, for everything. And, yeah. and like, and I know there's different thoughts on like, Hey, if you want to really be as explosive as possible, do you want to start with all isometric training or do you want to start with eccentric training? Oh, but I don't want to train slow and be slow, but like, doesn't eccentric training give us the capacity to overload the tendons more? And isn't there a greater effective strength in concentric training? So like, do we, like, I think there's also that question of like, where do we start? Like, and a lot of that has to, we have to have those meetings with our coaching staff and with our support staff early enough to know what do you, what do you guys want out of these guys? Because at the end of the day, for I'm just speaking with basketball, they're already going to go out and pretty much do a bunch of like, speed, strength, plyometric movements in practice. Mm-hmm. And, and that could be another conversation for later, but like, if we're going to train quote unquote tendon stiffness and all of those other cool, you know, elasticity recoil, like for, like you said, provocative movements, if there's not intent to do any of this stuff, then what's the point? Like, then what, what are we really going to do? Is the weight room used for something different then? Yeah. And I, I don't know, you know, I think I struggle too with like, you know, I know what I need to get done for these guys, but sometimes I think a lot of the coach, and this is an, again, another conversation, do the coaches know how long things might take? Yeah. But you know, I mean, I guess my question to you is like, where, like, where are we supposed to start? Isometric, eccentric, like landing, extensive tempo, like, you know, everybody that comes into our space and on our roster is going to have something different wrong with them. Like, we're not going to have everybody who is completely full go on the roster from like an injury perspective. So like, is it going to be like I'm kind of sprinkling stuff in over the course of the year and the semester that's going to benefit everybody. And then I have to pull people back and push people forward. I don't know. Like, and I think that's, that's, that's the fun part for me is like, when is, when do we do what? Yeah. So <laughs> a couple of things. One, I, I, I want to say like, I think this is a really cool like time to be a strength conditioning coach. Cause we have an ability to portray our brand and our product at a level that we never had to or had before with social media. Right. So I'm a strength coach in early two thousands. No one knows if I'm good or bad for probably, I didn't get on social media, Instagram until I was like 2015. So like, you know, like 
you know, I'm going over a decade plus without like anyone knowing anything I could do as a coach. I'm like, damn, I feel like I'm doing a really good job here. But now coach gets an FRC and they start doing what they feel is, you know, organic and natural with their environment and like a very like low trust, very low autonomy based environment. And like you see like hip cars like ah! abduct. Okay, like screaming at these kids, yeah. and like, and that's just the way they're structured their deal. Like, they can't break from this like organic. All right, like, and that, that would be the funny part with like I've had coaches who've worked under me who don't want to break from that cycle. And I remember seeing like I know where they come from, and I've seen like people doing foam roll on the whistle, like ever like up down kind of thing, like yeah. aggressively foam rolling. And I'm like, it seems to be counterintuitive. Like this thing that's supposed to be relaxing tissues. Like you're just hearing beep, 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 keep up on the tempo, like screaming. I'm like, I don't feel like tissue quality is improving when you're getting screamed at and you're going yeah. at this progressive pace. And I think the same thing with like these like flexibility and mobility drills or passive range and active range and looking at it from that. But um, just a little sidebar there, because I think it's like we have this like you know, kind of like interjecting of things that are designed one way and done the way that we only know how to, and hopefully some sort of dust would settle. And, um, and I remember going into uh, different breathing postures or resting postures, or even incorporating a lot of like, honestly, FRC stuff and uh, some DNS stuff in my environment with football and army. And and I'd be like, you know, it's corrective. Like I'm not counting reps and I'm not like, I, if they do three really quality reps, I think we got the point out of it. Right. And like, right. it would drive some of my guys on one guy in particular on staff nuts. He's like, we got to be doing this on the whistle. We got to be just, you know, motherfucking them. Like, it's, yeah, it seems counterintuitive. Like, is it leading to better clean squats, snatches, pull-ups? I don't care. Is it leading to better output there? Like, yes or no. And I don't need to hammer them. Like, I'm going to hammer them when it gets to the variables. Like, we're going to do this tempo. I want this bar speed. I want you to get this range. Like, I'm going to hammer on things that I think have a direct influence on that. But when they're trying to articulate more or control more, you know, everyone's going to have a different range and a different, like, mental bandwidth for that. So, like, I think it's more of, like, your confidence as a coach in that, which I think is kind of funny. But to the um, dynamic of where do you start, I I think we need to look outward uh, on this and saying – Okay, like we need to develop, as Adam Grant would call from book, think again, rules. And there's got to be rules to the game here. So, you know, you came to Allegiant and we put you through a four stack and we said, mm-hmm. okay, is he shifting his weight right to left? Yes or no. Or we at first asked you, do you have any pain injuries or surgeries? Yes right. or no. And then if you say no, okay, great. That's one less thing I have to worry about. But if you start having asymmetries on your jumps, it starts to make us go, okay, does this guy going to get, hurt if we do something bilaterally push the threshold of force velocity or work and the chances of that are increased you were not playing a competitive sport or playing in an open environment we're in a controlled environment and there's mm-hmm. still more risk when i push the threshold so what that does is gives me a first touch point to create some rules if he does have asymmetry i need to be very careful on how much i push his threshold of external load and force velocity or work if I, as opposed, if I didn't have asymmetries, and then from there, I try to go into a function movement screen with everybody. And from off of that, like it just simply goes this criteria of, do you have asymmetries on five out of the seven movement screens? Do you have closing angle pain on the four clearing tests? Yes or no. 
or closing angle restrictions, yes or no. And that makes me further reduce my exercise selection. And all I'm doing is trying to whittle away things I can't do, right? All I'm doing is taking away stuff that I can't do at the moment until I clear that up. So we're creating rules of the game of pain, asymmetries, and restrictions of range of motion limit the things I should do with somebody. And I think to that point of where do you start, you just create more of a distilled thing of what you can absolutely do without causing pain, dysfunction, or further compensation. And you build off from there until you remove those limiting factors. So you do a, a landing mechanics test. Maybe they have this like very hingy position when they land off the blocks. Okay. I know that I probably shouldn't back squat that guy, right? Like mm-hmm. pretty intuitive, or maybe I shouldn't be doing aggressive depth jumps with this person. You know, like that's, that's not like illogical to think about. I probably wouldn't do that anyway, but on the other end, you're like, just doesn't look like you would do well in that, or she would do well in that. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into this next level of, okay, well, if they can't land on one leg, why is that? Is it a balance problem? Is it a control problem? Is it a range of motion problem? Is it a asymmetry problem? And then you go, okay, what can I do to help with that? Well, I can build in range of motion at the joints. That's a pretty good place to start in general. And then I start to build in control of that range. And I start to build in some integrated movement patterns and just progressing them off of that. And I think that's kind of the way I would answer that. Uh, and I would really build off of that. But something yeah. that I, I really want to go in with you right here next is this integration with the sport. And you were discussing basketball of like, they're, they're, practicing and you know they're playing a lot on their own they're doing a lot of like low amplitude plyometrics for extended periods of time i think the other comparable will be looking at do we do plyos with a like a high jumper or a long jumper in track and field do we do plyos with gymnastics do we do plyos with volleyball and like these are things that i think come up quite a bit and i think the intuition of like we kind of rigidly throw them back into doing more of these things when they're doing a a boatload of that stuff on their own. What is your thoughts on like a basketball player, volleyball player, a gymnast, or even someone like a track and field athlete that's doing a a lot of extensive and really high threshold plyometrics on a repeated basis within training? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a question that I just had a conversation with, with our volleyball coach uh, like Monday or Tuesday. Um, I mean, lucky for us with basketball, we were able to have catapult this year. So a lot of those questions were already answered. Well, they were answered during the season because I could actually show, hey, coach, each player is totaling an average of 175 to 250 jumps in practice. And then, and again, we put bands on each. We put speed. We had three categories of speeds for each. So like low, medium and high. So obviously the low and the mediums were a little higher. But then there was a lot of guys that would do those really high threshold jumps And those were the guys I know needed to scale back and do things differently in the weight room that made it a little bit easier. But again, something that I found this year with basketball is around that late September, maybe early October, when we were kind of getting, we were sort of doing like strengthy speedy stuff. Like we were doing some contrast stuff, like it was going pretty well the first couple of weeks. And then the second couple of weeks, it all went to shit. And uh, I obviously knew that it, the, the volume of the intensity of practice and the volume of practice increased. Our total workload numbers increased and the amount of jumps in practice increased. So ipso facto, no shit that that happened, but it's like 
wouldn't we want to maybe looking forward now that I have that information next year saying, Hey coach, maybe we limit the amount of, you know, maybe jumping type of drills, like rebounding drills, you know, think maybe fast break drills, things like that. Maybe we limit the, the number of that because what I'm not able to do is still train that task in the weight room, even though we only have maybe another two or three weeks to train that adaptation before we have to just basically do our in-season stuff. Um, and we can't do that, but let's say with like gymnastics or track where there's, a, there's maybe a little more time between races, maybe you can sprinkle those movements in, into three to four week period leading up to it. But like in between that, like their practice of that high intensity, like gymnastics work and track work is so neurally demanding that if we're going to ask them to do that in a weight session, that it's going to be counterintuitive. So it's like, maybe we sprinkle those things and time it a little bit better because again, usually those plyometric gains are two, three weeks, maybe four weeks you can have them and they kind of go away. So maybe you just have to sprinkle it that way for those kinds of sports, but with like basketball and volleyball, I mean, back row players in volleyball, like liberos and DS is like maybe those kinds of, of athletes um, they can do more lateral progression plyometrics because they're going to have to, you know, go side to side more. So maybe a, maybe a, a, a position like that can do more plyometric work throughout the season because they're not having to do any, uh, you know, they probably don't like jump serve that much or they're not going out to block or to hit. So like if you were to break those things down by position, maybe that can change how you integrate your plyometric progressions with maybe volleyball, but for like a middle or an outside hitter, like, you're probably not going to be able to do that once they get into season, like your time for any kind of plyometric work or things of that nature is going to be probably in the spring or early in the springtime, maybe into the summer. And then you got to tailor it off. Like the NCAA only gives volleyball and I think soccer a couple of weeks of their preseason. So coaches are probably going to want to do double days and they're going to increase the intensity and the volume with each day that they do stuff. So it's like, I need to make sure that my programs are fitting that in the summer. So we're not overloading, getting all those itises and things like that. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question correctly, but I think you can really tailor it specific to the sport and to the position, knowing what their calendar is. And again, having a conversation with your coach about that is going to make your job way easier. And if the athletic trainer knows what you're doing, they can have some input if they, if they do have any, but I just think you just have to sprinkle it in the right places. And for, for some of our guys, even our basketball guys, we were just doing extensive plyometrics for a really, 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 really long period of time. Like, I don't even know if it was too long, but a lot of guys were, Oh man, like I got, my knees are killing me. I got this going on. It's like, okay, well I need to also make sure that you guys are able to train around that and still able to perform your skill which you are very good at in your environment and not allow my space to deter, like to make your performance deteriorate. So it's like, I have to work around that. I need to make sure that I'm getting those big chunks that I need, but also like you need to go and do your sport as well, because that's what you're here to do. So it's like, do maybe we did a lot of extensive plows of basketball summer and even into early fall, but then we had to, you know, obviously the emphasis changed, but then because of what happened in practice, I had to completely flip the emphasis and just take them away completely. So, and we did just more ballistic stuff. Like we did a lot of throws and things like that instead, just to sort of mimic that. But again, 
I don't know if ballistic work is really plyometric. So, but I had to get some kind of like speedy, strengthy adaptation going on, especially at that time of the year. Yeah. You know, there, so there's a, a couple of things that you dropped in there, which I think is, I think is going to be really important. We go in that direction, but you talked about with liberos hitting different planes or even vectors of, of motion. And, you know, that's almost a sport specific thing that you should be focusing on, but in a general sense, you know, I, I think it's really easy. And then you talk about extensive plyos and we can, I think it's, I think with extensive plyos, which is nice about it, it's not so like quantifiable driven or mm-hmm. like performance outlet driven. So you feel a little bit more encouraged to do, all right, let's do some rotational ones. Let's do some, some lateral ones here. Like, were you not like so preoccupied with like, oh man, we got to get nine foot, 10 foot broad jumps and 30 inch verts, or like you just, you kind of like a little bit more freedom of, of like, we're going to hit all planes and vectors here. We might get some different drivers in with the upper body with a med ball or a, or a sandbag or sand ball or something, right? Like we're just Mm getting a little bit more creative. You know, what is your uh, general thought with like, all right, from a plyometric or an extensive plyometric uh, to a higher threshold plyometric with hitting different planes of motion, like a, a lateral or frontal or a transverse and a rotational. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I forgot to mention this in the last, my last rant. Um, if I really, if the coach really wanted to keep plyos in that, and I still think there's a space for that with certain people, we can just look at, at total contacts per session and then total contacts per week whether that's high or low. I mean, with the low stuff, like you were saying earlier, we don't really have to quantify it as much because it's a little like quote unquote safer. Um, and we can do a little more, you know, upper body rotation and things like that with it, where it's a little easier to, to coach. But if we were to look at it from like a total contact perspective, where it's like, even if it's just a land off a box, like, could we expose a jumping athlete in season to plyometric work or speed strength work in a jumping sense, if we were to just understand how many contacts make sense for that person and for that team and for that position. And I think, I know we talked about going into practice earlier before we started recording, but there could be some validity to going to practice for, to a jumping practice, to a jumping sport practice, just to watch and maybe tally how many jumps outside hitters do during that specific practice. And maybe there's a way where it's like, Hey, I'm going to take 15 or 20% of those total jumps and expose that person one time to it in a controlled setting, maybe even using a band, just because then we're going to take a little bit of the, the total body weight away and make it a little less easier for landing. But like, again, teaching them that high threshold movement while they're in season. So like, that's also something that we could also look at, but as far as your other, what was your other question? Again? I'm sorry. Just being more confident with hitting different planes of motion. Yeah. I mean, I think this is something like that was really big with boils. Like, I mean, if you look at, you know, what is your initiation of the movement, you know, what direction and what direction are you going in? Like the initiation can be like double contact, continuous, you know, non-counter move, whatever. Like if we have an understanding of that and then what direction you're going in and you have like, I have categories that I have printed out in my office to make sure that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm still going to be hitting, you know, linear, linear vertical jumping 
or rotational 90 degree jumping, or, and that's in my non-counter movement category. In my counter movement category, I have like lateral horizontal 45 degree bounding. I also have lateral horizontal hurdle hopping um, and understanding what that nomenclature is. So then also the kid, because again, at the end of the day, we're all educators. So like, we need to make sure that whatever we are giving to our athletes, they understand the nomenclature and what it is, because I think with social media, things sometimes get lost on who you follow and what you're looking at. And, and I love when these kids bring me stuff, but it's like, Hey, let's make sure that we're staying clear on what we're doing here. So I think that there's, there's room for exploring of, Hey, let's jump off of one foot, you know, rotate 90 degrees and land on the other foot facing, you know, 90 degrees. I think if we were to look at like, I know some of our coaches want us to start being at film more, which again is a, is a time thing, but I think it's important for us to understand, like we can't really ever mimic what that sport is doing because that's a skill. But if we can find a way to, you know, to kind of shadow that and produce something like that for them, because they may or may not have to do that in their competition. I think that becomes fun for strength coaches. Like, okay, I know I have, I can have a libero or a DS do a lateral bound, what can I have that person do out of that lateral bound, you know, thinking about ground contact time or lack thereof, that's going to help them maybe, you know, go and save a ball from, you know, getting a point for their team or what can I do? You know, our coach right now for volleyball is talking about how he's changing, how his middles hit from a traditional left, right, go up to a like right, left, right, fade, fade away and hit. So it's like, wow, that's really cool. You mentioned that because I've never even heard of that. So is there something that we can do with an external cue, like, hey, you're going to land and then your partner is going to kind of move a PVC pipe to one direction. You have to visually accept what that thing is doing and then make a physical move either to the left, to the right or in front of you to make that, I guess, to make that movement something that's quote unquote, a little more specific to what the task is that you need to do in your sport. Is that going to work? I don't know. But I think if we take time to expose ourselves as strength coaches who might not play that sport or have played that sport to practice it with them and try it. And if you can get some backing from the coach, like that's going to make all this stuff better. And it's going to allow us to like be a little more biomechanically fluid, if you will, like mentally, and also just have some more feedback from people who actually have to do it. Like right now, our coach for volleyball is, is coming into our weight room to help the help the the girls understand like what they what he's trying to coach on the court and how we can bring it and integrate it into our weight room. So like that's been really fun in the last week or so to yeah. see. And again, that might be just specific to our space, but I didn't play volleyball at a high level at all. So if there's something new that he's teaching his team, I want to learn about it so that I can be better at plyometric movement for them. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, really good resource obviously and depending on what headspace you're in would be franz bosch and uh and i think it's like moments in your your career your life where you become more um accepting of ideas or ideologies that you're like okay yeah i, I definitely see the value in this and there's a similar approach for me with like gary gray and todd right looking mm -hmm. at looking at just hitting different vectors and when you're watching todd right go through like a Gary Gay-esque like progression of different planes of motion with the different locomotive patterns with different upper body drivers 
there's like this moment of like, yeah, but how do I quantify that? And how do I justify that in a greater overall system? And then you start having this moment of like, well, does that really even matter? And am I limiting what I'm doing with someone based off of not being able to quantify it? And then the other end is when you get to a guy like Franz Bosch and you look at looking at it from a physiology perspective of changing connective tissue function from a, a motor perspective of changing that, changing that motor pattern to a degree that has greater, I guess, dynamic correspondence, meaning it could transfer to a larger concentric circle in a chaotic, undetermined environment like team sports, you start to, again, go back to yourself and say, well, no, I'm a big like, oh, if you can't test it, if you can't measure it, you won't, you shouldn't do it kind of thing. And if it has not some sort of quantifiable output that it's not really worth your time and we should get very like singular in what we do because it has to be objective. But then you realize that the bottom line, the biggest actual singular thing that matters is more wins than losses. And yeah, that's how you keep your job. You know, like I, I could have the best performing in the weight room or basic measurement test that we do that we can quantify. But if it doesn't translate and what we were talking about before, like doesn't look the way or doesn't play the way he looks kind of concept, then it really doesn't matter in that extent. And I think there's a great, there's always going to be this gray area of like, can't get so myopically focused on a couple of key metrics and correlates or KPIs, as well as we can't get so romanticized about, you know, this open-ended chaotic environment that's never really going to get us net anything that we can objectively say if we're doing a good job or not, other than wins and losses is finding a happy middle and appreciating that like we're working with open systems that respond fairly uniquely to stress and they're going to, respond or adapt in their own way shape or form and it's going to translate at some level or higher than others and when you're looking at apply a metric progression and you're looking at like all right what is this going to lead to you know I, I think you just have to have that like direct connection to the coaches and the athletes is this helping and they're like yeah i feel more explosive on the court i feel like i'm recovering faster i feel like i feel like i'm doing the things that i need to do to be successful more that's the bottom line Right. You know, and like just yeah. having that accessibility. Um, and I'll be the first to admit, like, I do not miss going to practice. I do not miss <laughs> having to go to any of these things, but I get it. Right. And to the point you were making before of like, Hey, we were GPSing people and we realized how many jumps we were getting in. So if you're communicating with the athletic trainer about when that person can come back and return to play, what well, can they handle doing 270 jumps in the, in a one hour period? God, no, they're not ready. They yeah. should go back to practice. And that happened. <laughs> yeah. It happened to one of our guys. Like he wasn't ready and we had to get him back. And it was, he wasn't even close to the threshold of what other guys were doing. And it, I mean, I hate to say it, knock on, he got hurt again. Yeah. Like, you you know? need that. You need that direct connected connectedness to the athlete, you know? And like, I don't think our athletes are expecting us to be the best basketball players in the world or the best volleyball players in the world, but they just want you to appreciate what they have to go through and have an empathy for Hey, let's just not do stuff that you want to do. Let's do stuff that actually makes me a better player. Cause I genuinely deep down want to be the best player I could possibly be. And that just comes from communication and having appreciation for what the point is and what the true North is. But yeah. And even with all this, the science and, and like, I mean, for me, like the, I'm sure for everyone else, like the progressions and the regressions are so are the biggest staples for me because we have to learn and we have to, we have to basically accept what a, what an athlete might do and change on the fly. And what the hope is, is that with those, changes we can still teach intent because as much as we want to talk about like you know 
the tendon is only going to become more stiff if we put more strain on it. And like, we have to lift heavy and do all these things because elasticity is going to allow greater athletic performance. That's just how it goes. But like, if, and I know we, we talked about this earlier, but like, if we, if the, if the athlete, no matter if it's like spirit squad, golf, tennis, basketball, football, if there's no intent with the movement at the end of the day, it's, it's not, they're not going to get, see any adaptation or benefit from it. And it's not going to carry over where, where coaches or anybody will say, Hey, I don't see a carryover from the weight room to the court. And from what I've seen and, and who I've talked to and what I've heard is usually with some of those athletes that happens to, those are the ones that we can say, well, they're kind of just in here to be in here. And they rely so heavily on their skill that there's not probably going to be as much of a transfer if there's no intent. And I know this is something that Eric Schmidt said. It's like a lot of, a lot of times. And even for me too, like we will see what basketball players can do. They can windmill dunk. They can top, whatever they can do all these incredible things on the court. But then what we do as strength coaches, and I'm guilty of this too, is they come into our space and we expect them to be able to do everything at a high level. And that's where I think the progressions and regressions come in so massively because I've been caught of like, whoa, this guy's got like a 43 inch, you know, approach vert and he can do all these dunks. Like this guy can probably squat pretty well. I, I would assume that he can move pretty well based on how he moves in the court. Ooh, man, he's, oh boy. Like we need to really start like, can you, dude, can you even hold, balance on one leg? Can you close your eyes and balance? Like, and if they can't do that, like, are we supposed to progress them plyometrically yet? Like, that's, that's another question. It's like, are we, if we're, if in, if in our world, we are to do no harm and we see somebody who is a high level athlete in their sport, in their task, in their skill, and they cannot do the basic, basic, basic stuff in our space, even if it's without pain, because if it's pain, it's totally different. But if they can't, like, how are we supposed to go about teaching them double contact, linear hurdle hopping? or continuous hurdle jumping or whatever we want to call the nomenclature, like any kind of, you know, high level plyometric, like, is that something like that we should be doing? And I don't know, because there are some kids that can really do continuous hurdle jumping very, very, very well. Or, but if you have them land, they suck. Mm. And you're like, Oh my God, that is really bad. Yeah. Well, all my progressions go out the window now. Yeah. Well, I think that, that expectation goes both ways, right? So by reversing that process, me and you should be able to go onto the basketball court and do all these things that they're doing based on the skill set that we have in the weight room. Like I can do all the things you just described while holding a conversation, making eye contact and demoing, you know, like I can do all those things, right? Like I can do a, I can do a hop over a mini hurdle and talk about where I want your hand, your foot and everything else. I had such a grasp of how to do that. So by that same logic, I should be able to go onto the court and do a windmill and go between my legs. I can't even get the backboard at this point in my life. You know, like, you know, it just doesn't work that way. It's not a one-to-one correspondence, but the, the thought is, is, is if I improve these basic level things that they're going to be more resilient and more capable for a person that's already really well, like adept and skilled and high power, like, and has all these incredible abilities on the court. Just now you can accentuate that quality a little bit better and vice versa. It's like, me and you probably don't need more weight room time. We probably need more court time. You know, if we really <laughs> want to be better basketball players, we probably should be working on that windmill dunk kind of thing. Like, you know, d- timing it, working on all those variables associated with the skill. But it's like, 
you know, we all have these gaps and deficiencies that we have to work on. And we just, depending on their mindset, like I think people generally want to be successful with everything they're doing. And if they're really inherently and good at things that they do all the time and they struggle with something on that, like, you know, giving them something they can have immediate success with and telling you that was super easy. This is a joke. Like it's probably going to be way more impactful for them to create quote unquote buy-in or uh, just really appreciate what they're doing with you than doing something that they're not capable of doing or capable of doing well or capable of doing without a lot of feedback of like, no, no, hips here, heads here. Like if you're giving them yeah. 10 cues, they're probably not ready for it, you know? And, yeah. and to that point, it's like, you know, both ways, like I don't want to go on a basketball court with the Lakers and just get exposed like right now. Like I'd rather play with a junior high basketball team to build confidence, you know? And like that level of same progressions we're taking into the weight room. Like, all right, this is what we would expect them to do. They're not there yet. What can I do today to be successful with? Goes so far from a physiological but psychological aspect as well. Um, yes. Okay. So um, one thing I kind of want to wrap up here with, you know, in terms of like this force length continuum, you get that person on this assessment of stepping off a box bilaterally, unilaterally. They have poor control, right? They just land in a just a, a really, really bad position. You're like, oh man, okay, now I got to be really, really careful with this person. From there, are you thinking about what do I need to build off of that from a flexibility, mobility, motor control perspective and going forward into plyos? I, th I think it's all of those. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the guys that even some of the other athletes we get, whether it's volleyball or, or basketball, like a lot of them come in with no prior history of training. So, you know, <laughs> some of them don't know, you know, kilos. Some of them don't know, you know, some of them don't know a lot of the basic stuff. So usually when we're seeing that we'll go like as much as foam rolling, I know has, you know, two different thoughts on yes and no. Like sometimes I'm no, sometimes I'm yes. Usually with a lot of our guys, I, I take them through just a general routine just so they can understand what they're actually going to be working on from a muscle perspective. Like here's your piriformis, here's your hamstring, here's your calf. Here's like, if you hug your back, this will open everything up. Like I try to keep things simple, but also educate them on stuff because a lot of these guys have, have struggled with just foam rolling properly. Like people are shaking during foam roll. So as much as like, I don't really have a lot of my athletes foam roll, depending on who it is. I, I sometimes in my own space, I use that as an assessment also before we start anything. So we'll go through that. We might go through some really bait. Like we go like, this is all stuff I learned at boils. Like this is something that's been ingrained in me from boils since I was there in 2013 or 12 or whatever it was. I'm going to go through this routine it's going to be something that you're going to be able to, to know and execute whenever you come in here. If I tell you to do it, you're going to understand what you're doing and what you're rolling. You're going to then go through a very basic static stretch, which again, I know has, you know, different thoughts on that. We're, we're only going to hold each position for 20 seconds. So it's not like we're going to be ruining any power production just yet. And that's going to give them an understanding of what they're stretching <laughs> And that whole, as, as Christian Thibodeau calls it, that must, that mind muscle connection. So like, even though it's just a stretching piece, like sometimes we have a lot of, of athletes that just don't know what they're supposed to feel. 
at all, at all. So this kind of gives them a little bit of an intro to understanding what they're supposed to feel when we're doing something, when, when they're doing a task that we're giving them, even if it's just something simple as foam rolling. And then, and then from there, we'll go into a little bit of mobility work. That's another way for me to check what their assessment was from athletic training and physical therapy and see how that correlates in my space. And nine times out of 10, we, we don't really FMS that much. But if we just have anybody do a basic body weight squat, even if it's not overhead, it's not, it's usually going to be a one. I know there's not a one and a half on the scale, but it, I would give a lot of our guys sometimes a one and a, a one or a one and a half. And then from there, it's like, oh my gosh, this person has a very short torso. So I need to make sure that I'm giving them the proper squat to do, because if I'm having someone with a short torso back squat, they might be falling over. So it's like, let's put them through some counter movement squatting to see, you know, what that even looks like. And, you know, something that we've been doing a lot of LMU lately is a lot of um, Hatfield work. And, you know, a lot of that, again, takes a lot of stress off of stuff because you have the ability to hold on to the handles. But if guys can feel, and even for our volleyball players and for golf and whoever, if we can get people to go into a fairly deep, quote unquote, deep squat position that is right for them. And they're like, and they have a little bit of success with that. That's something that we can build off of, even though I know it's probably like a third or a fourth progression, but it's something for us to build off of for later. And I just kind of keep that in the back of my mind just to expose them to that. And again, it's, it's per case. It's not, we go right into a half field spot right away, but there's some, there's some kids that we need to have go through that hand supported, whether it's even just a body weight hand supported squat. And then from there, we will just go in to our landing progressions so usually for me, like with volleyball right now, we're all in a non-counter movement phase of our plyometric work. So we'll do something ballistic with a med ball, but in that med ball, they will slam, they will get tall, they will slam, and they will hold that bottom position, which is usually what the base of whatever counter movement jump we're going to do is. I have them hold that for two seconds, just so I can see, can you even slam a ball can you do something ballistic, slam a ball and be able to hold that position? You guys pretty much have to kind of do that in your sport where you guys have to hit, avoid the net, and you don't land on two feet. Usually you land one, two, but again, like in a controlled environment, I want to see what you're able to do when you slam a ball. And then from there, they will go into a box landing. The box landing is going to change per person. So everyone's going to start at the exact same height of our DC blocks, which is usually like three, four, just in the beginning, I'll see how they land off of both feet. I'll have them do it off of one foot. And then from there, because we don't have a full roster, I can change the height of the box from there. And then our coach is down there as well. He can give me some feedback on what he sees on court. Um, and then we can make really quick changes from there. And, and even with that landing, we're going to have a two second pause just because I want to be able to, I want to see, can you accept that force? Can you accept it? And can you hold on to it? Again, it's very controlled. It's probably not going to happen that way on court, but in our environment, I want to see biomechanically if you can hold a good position that looks maybe a little rigid and maybe a little bit too quote unquote robotic, but if you can hold it, that gives me a little bit of an idea of what you can handle going into the strength portion of our session. And then as far as applied metric progression is concerned, depending on what day, like day one is going to be linear day two is going to be our lateral, um, 
plyometric progression day. And then the third day is going to be our, um, rotational day. Like we'll mix in, usually we'll mix in all three on that day. And right now, because it's, it's, we're still in a non-counter movement phase of our plyo, it's still a lot of pause before you go. So there's no stretch. There's not really any stretch shortening cycle component at all in any of our jumping. Um, cause we're only just, we're doing hopping and very, very minimal bounding. So, and a lot of it is hold the position at start, do your, your movement and then stick it again and then reset. So there's, there's a lot of resetting because especially with volleyball, they like, they get, they love feedback and with the sticking and the holding, it gives them a lot of instant feedback of like, Oh my gosh, I can't even, I can't get down into my loaded position before I even jump. Like I need to work on that. So again, I'm lucky enough to have a group that is aware of that, but with other groups, like some of our, some of our kids are just not at a point where their mind, their mind goes to that. Oh my, I'm, I'm not balancing well in this hole. Like they just kind of, they just kind of do it. So with volleyball, like we're lucky enough where they can actually go through with that. And then as we go forward, you know, we can start to take away that non-counter movement piece and then go in, into more counter movement, um, you know, linear lateral and rotational jumping and bounding and hopping. Have you, um, have you done a lot of work or have ever been on like a uh, tsunami bar and oscillating bar or done a lot of work with a aqua bag? So we have a few aqua bags and John Brasher and I are doing stuff with the aqua bag. Now our volleyball coach wants to buy more. So I know I've worked like with Dan, John, like he bring out like the slosh pipe, you know, at some of our RKC and SFG certs, we kind of mess around with that in its early stages. Um, but right now we're doing stuff with the aqua bag. I'm not using it right now, but we're, we're playing around with it like outside on different surfaces and, you know, we'll go to the grass on the soccer field and play around with that, or we'll be in the weight room and do like a skipping progression or like, you know, a double hop to a knee drive, or we'll step onto a box and we'll shoot in a diagonal plane and see how we can hold that. So we're doing some things like that. Um, but it's, it's so new, like it's new for us because the, the, the coaches are like, Hey, do you guys want to try these? We're like, sure. So we're starting to play around with it now, but we haven't really fully integrated too much just yet. Um, but I know our coaches want us to integrate plyometric work with the aqua bag. So you mentioned in part of your progression is that ballistic control yourself in that yes. decelerated position, a, a really good drill and aqua bag actually makes like a med ball with handles, but like literally doing like a reach drop and exos or a, um, you know, a, a chop type, a vertical chop yeah. or a linear chop kind of progression, just driving your hands down and that, momentum of the water will rebound and really challenge yourself in that position, right? That decelerative, but you kind of talked about before of like, what is the intent and can we create intent when we're doing quote unquote remedial drills that people take for granted, you know, that reach drop, like throw your hands down violently. Like they kind of give like maybe a 70% effort towards it versus if they have external feedback. And I find the same thing with like a tsunami bar and oscillating bar and we'll progress in that. I'm like, like a Bulgarian rhythm squat where I think the name is hysterical, but like, you know, going down and up with like rhythm. We're doing that right now in a program that me, John and uh, Kevin Stark are doing. It's actually a Christian Thibodeau program called get vertical. So we're actually doing Bulgarian rhythm squats right now. Yeah. So like taking that, like, but taking that rhythm, right. And it does, it, it's more, it's more intense when you have that oscillating bar, right. So like Mm -hmm. if you have like an Olympic bar, 
where it actually has some give versus a like strength bar where it doesn't have as much give, you'll feel that momentum build a lot more. Uh, what you can also do though, is almost do like a reach drop. So like, you know, almost as like pause and this reflexive co-contraction stopping mm-hmm. that momentum. And depending on the, the, I guess the stability of that oscillating bamboo bar or tsunami bar, you know, some of them get like tensile strength up to like holding 500 pounds, you know, like these like things can create this downward whip, like, and this, I was thinking about um, in terms of family guys that whip or whip, yeah. um, but um, there's like whip effect that goes down into the ground and you have to stop. Right. And like, that's a huge, huge co-contraction you have to do and then you see that like translate right and then like on some extension these are really really functional isometrics right like these are extremely high yielding isometrics that have this really reflexive type property and you think about it from the level of like you know basically what's happening in that water bag or happening in that oscillating bar is really happening with our connective tissues it's like that we're creating this whip or we're moving this fluid within these joints in a certain way that either could be facilitated to a counter movement or inhibited to a counter movement. It's all about where our biomechanics are and that like feedback you get from where the water's going gives you direct information. If you're moving in a really controlled position and you have that eccentric or yielding isometric to handle that load Mm -hmm. and then redirect that force. So um, think about the idea of like what you're doing already and make it more by adding in this like extra effect of that. So like, you know, with a, like one of the ones we'll do with like a uh, decelerated mechanic and you can do it with a med ball. I just find it's better with some of these like water or aqua bag sloshing pipes things is, is get that water going in that momentum and seeing how they counteract that. Right. Yeah. Um, and all that stuff. And you kind of talk about it with like, you no know, Viper, pretty much the only drill anyone ever did with a Viper was basically dropping it and doing like this, like two-step and lateral move, like two, awesome two-step for, lateral. Yeah, awesome exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty much what the Viper evolved to. You're like, not <laughs> enough weight for anything else, but it's good for that. Um, it just kind of creates this like more extensive plyometric progression into decelerating mechanics and then hopefully some some programmed and then non-programmed or small-sided game agilities. Yeah. Uh, We could almost call it like uh, extensive capoeira plyometric because I think even with the Viper, like I, it was at one of the hotels for our conference tournament. Like I felt like I was in a dance. I was Mm -hmm. dancing with this thing and I'm like, I'm going to just try to see if I can go reverse side, throw it up, bring it back. And other stuff that we've played around with too. And I know this might be off topic is like hanging band technique stuff, Mm -hmm. like, and mainly just for pressing movements. Like we haven't, I haven't done really any for, any lower body movement, even for the pressing movement, like there's so much feedback that's given on that hanging band technique. And I know it's a little different than the slosh pipe and the aqua bag, but could be potentially a little bit similar, but like sometimes if we give athletes that instant feedback on certain things, obviously in a safe way, that might drive intent up as well. Yeah. Do, do the Bulgarian rhythm squats with the hanging band technique. Like you'll find try, that. that's not, that's not our Mondays. Yeah, that's our Monday. You, you'll find I mean, one. It's exhausting. It's, I mean, the, the, the one that's like the original I, I saw was 10 quarter squats, 10 planner yep. flex. So yeah. And then you do up to 50, right. That's what we're doing right now. Every Monday. Yeah. It, it's a pretty good VMO pump. Not gonna lie. Um, Great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the, the name of the game is having that teardrop at the bottom part of your quads. Cause it's all about short shorts nowadays. So it's it cool. is, <laughs> you know, it's a renaissance. but, um, 
but yeah, you add more feedback to that, whether you use a tsunami bar, if you have it or a bamboo bar, or just doing the hanging band technique, like you're going to get a lot more. Right. And mm -hmm. um, I've done it on a um, flywheel. Like, so we have the, um, we have a K box and I'll do that with that, just messing around with it. And like you talk about slowing down momentum, man, that is a huge, huge stimulus right there. Yeah. Well, cause also like sport and plyo is all about contract relax anyway. So it's yeah. like, if we can find a way to train that, then like, and it might be a little unconventional, then why not? Like, like our PT said, you got to get good of the weird shit too. Yeah. I love it, man. <laughs> well, honestly, Jordan, this was really cool. I'm just appreciate you taking the time and giving your insight. And uh, it was just fun to get the, the, the practical part. And I feel like it's a good time because probably you're, you're really in this mode of thought right now with the yes. athletes going into off season and, uh, so like the, the wheels are turning, you're excited about some new beginnings and getting ready to go for 2022, 23, <laughs> but yeah. um, you know, timing's everything, man. So appreciate it, man. Any uh, closing words on your part, anything, uh, anything you want people to find or you want to say a recluse talk to us? Like, what, are, what do you want? What do you want from here with my, uh, my, my single digit followers here, man? <laughs> <laughs> all three of us. Man. I mean, I mean, honestly, out, for me, it's, it's, it sounds silly, but it's like surreal. I mean, like you, you called me when I was on a couch sleeping, you know, for my intern interview and we're, and we're doing this. So, I mean, you know, you can always follow LMU sports performance on Instagram. Like we're trying to get that thing up and running. Like we, we post, you know, fairly often. So, I mean, if we can get followers on that, that's great. And then, you know, I think more, more coaches collaborating and, and, and these kind of podcasts are so big um, because it allows for us to have a safe space to explore and talk and, and, you know, be vulnerable in a situation where, you know, everyone's going to listen potentially and hopefully more questions come out of it. Because at the end of the day, we're in this industry to make other people better. And if we can do that by learning from each other, then that makes it all worthwhile. I mean, like we all learn from everybody. We steal stuff from everybody. It's like, let's, you know, I think the, the, the realm of like being in a silo is starting to go away. And that's, it makes me so happy to know that, you know, everybody is open to, you know, feedback, criticism, learning articles, you know, putting stuff out on social media. Like it's the, the industry is growing so rapidly in a, in a positive way. So it's really fun to be a part of that for sure. And it's, it, it, to me, it's an honor to be on your podcast too. I appreciate it, man. Well, thank you, man. And honestly, I just appreciate the time and same. Uh, it was fun to catch up too, man. So yeah. thank you again, man. Hopefully I'll stop by your stop by and see you soon. Oh yeah. It's we're rolling out there, man. We got our kabuki trap bars. We're <sighs> we're expanding. We're blowing up, man. Muscle mentorships coming around the pipe. Got I see it. Yeah. It's gonna be explosive May, man. We're really fired up for it. But thank you again, buddy. Yeah, thank you.